Watch this. Hello and welcome back to the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. I am Tom Mills and today I'm joined by Sam Williams. Hello. Cal Wing. Hello. And Sir Bruce Fitzpatrick. Howdy. Full house. Full house today. As always, guys, if you want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us at Cookie Jar Golf on all of our social media channels. So the women's major, let's start with that one. Did you all watch it? I must say I didn't, I mean, I didn't watch it actually any full coverage of the golf this week um of the three events that are on rather but uh i caught up on some of the highlights at aronomic and yeah what an absolute demolition job by uh, say young kim how many did she win by in the end i think she won by five didn't she shot final round 63 um lowest of the day from what i could see at least um and yeah, yeah well, she absolutely, absolutely trounced the field she um, was um, highly, highly impressive. I actually sat down and watched the whole thing. I was, was enthralled. And uh, at the start of the, 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 the final round, I mean, she was being chased down by the group in front, which uh, had Inby Park mm. in it. And obviously Inby Park being probably the greatest ma- women's major winner of recent times. And she was just absolutely oh, yeah, hunting her down. And then um, Si Young Kim have... I mean, she's got no, she's had a lot of top tens and stuff, but no serious mm. sort of winning pedigree. Just absolutely put the hammer down. I think it was like seven birdies, no bogeys on that final final round. It was yeah. like just, it was a Exhibition. strike fest. I think, am I right in thinking she has got some form when it comes to um, just torching golf courses though, because I think she set the LPGA record in maybe 2017, 18 for like the lowest 72 hole score or something crazy, like 31 under par or something. Um, so she has got form of just going stupidly low out there, but to do it, as you say, yeah, to do it, to close out your first major um, with someone of the caliber of NB park, um, you know, right on your coattails is, is really impressive stuff, isn't it? Well, I'm just looking at the uh, the scores across all four rounds, and I'm pretty sure 63 was the low round of the week, and that's what she shot in the final round. Which, yeah, well, when you're on for your first major, is pretty pretty impressive, isn't it? Mm. Sam, are you there? I'm hey, here. We got any contributions, I'm Cal? Sam? I'm reflecting. I mean, I didn't see. So, I mean, a couple of observations. One, it's nice to see them play. But- Nice to see them played at um, decent venues as well. Ironic, ironic. I've not played it, but is absolutely revered in the states. Um, mm. Probably one of Ross's best. I don't know. I, I mean, just you know, is is watching the ladies' game more exciting at times than sometimes watching the men's when you see them kind of dueling and coming down the stretch with a sixty-three to win? I don't know. Is it more entertaining at times than watching the men's game where it can sometimes just feel very, very familiar? The bits I've caught of the of the LPGA this year have been generally pretty exciting golf to watch, I think. Yeah, I mean, this one probably wasn't that exciting because she was just winning by so much and it was from the get-go. I mean, the only people who shot low rounds of sort of four, five, six under had started from quite far back anyway. I think her playing partners... Mm. Um, 
who correct me if I'm wrong, was it Anna Anna Norquist? Was she one of her playing yeah, partners? It was, yeah, she dropped off uh, on the final round. Others, they kind of yeah, they sort of dropped off. So actually, she ended up having quite a bit of breathing room, um, which doesn't take away from the fact you know she she blitzed the field. But yeah, I mean, for levels of excitement. I don't know whether, I mean, crowds, obviously, you know, that they, they've been few and far between in the second half of 2020. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Sam. Sounded like a one-horse race. Entertaining. Mm. Yeah, but it wasn't. Like, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't wire to wire, though. I mean, the because of the way that the sky, it was airing the golf. I, I watched quite a lot of it this weekend. And um, it was all sort of, it was all pretty competitive through two rounds. And then she just kind of pulled away in round three and then really put the hammer down on round four. So it wasn't like it was wire to wire and it was just, you know, like an absolute demolition job. It was a bit tit for tat. And then she just put the hammer down. Why have we opened up with the ladies PGA then? If it was, cause I didn't, uh, I'll, I'll confess. I didn't watch much of it. So I saw. Well, because it's a major. Well, well, on that point, you know, without wanting to open up a can of worms, um, you know, Golf Digest and a couple of other outlets recently, I think, just ran a, a piece about the pay gap and the disparity between the women's game and the men's game as far as purses are concerned. Um, Say Young Kim won $645,000 for the PGA, which That's is obviously strong. a lot of money, but it, strong, yeah. but it but it pales into comparison, doesn't it, to what, say, Bryson won at the US Open, where he's probably won, I'm going to guess, off the I think it was like one and a half million. Yeah, I think it was like one point between 1.6 and 2, probably. Mm. Okay, where, where, I mean, where do we stand on that, guys? Where, where are you? Uh, that's a, it's a lot of money, but given what's going on with TV and everything else, that's... It, it, that's the sort of money that can be paid, really. Yes, it's a it's a hell of a lot of money, and it's a big gap. But unfortunately, that's um, the way where the world is, especially on the commercial side. So, I think you're in a situation, aren't you, where um, I mean, the money is ultimately funded through excessive TV rights, and golf tournaments are played Thursday to Sunday. So, begs the question: Would you be able to get better TV? rights and better tv coverage if the events weren't played over a typical thursday to sunday schedule because i actually think if you pay you know at the moment you couldn't really justify having the same prize purse for the ladies events given the fact that then cbs nbc sky sports these guys all flick over to watch you know the pga at the men's tournament finish i don't know maybe and maybe doing some more co-sanctioned events that's that's you know kind of a good thread i, th- I don't disagree with you bruce that yeah there should be more I mean, a good a good comparison will be the european tour this week mm. i mean the purse is significantly reduced on last week's event i know that was a radic series event and what have you so that will be inflated but um this week yeah i think it's back to i think the whole purse for this week is sort of just about a million euros where last week it was sort of up to seven ish with Hatton taking home 950,000 euros. I think it was. And, um, well, that was exactly my point in that, you know, the women's PGA, that is a major championship, uh, in the women's game. And 
and therefore you know one of the flagship events obviously the event that all the best still good the money i think that. that's still but it's yeah but it's a million dollars short of for the for the, the times though for the times i mean if covid wasn't here i think that might have been bigger It'd be interesting yeah. to compare it to like last year's numbers and see where they were. If they were at the same level, then fair enough. But but okay, look at the Shriners though, for instance. Yeah, it's the PGA Tour though. It's a different different beast completely. And yeah, and the, 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 the gap, the gap, the gap is getting Why better. Is it, it is getting better. It is a subject that's out there and certainly being looked at. But it'll take time, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's. Um, as I said, that's just the way of the world. But my opinion on this is um, if you think about where the revenue comes from, ultimately, like Sam says, it comes from advertising revenue, which comes from supply and demand. And if you're going to have a PG, essentially, I mean, there's, there's time differences, so it's not, it's not entirely true. But if you're going to have the European Tour, the PGA and the LPGA all on at the same time, then there's going to be competition for advertisers' money because it's all happening at the same time. Whereas if they, there's a little bit different with the European Tour and PGA because um, they obviously have the time difference. But if you can have the LPGA and the PGA, are they ever going to get as much money if they do the events at the exact same time? Probably not. Yeah, but I think this should be. I agree with you, and, and that that's just a a straight up logistical problem. Um, but the question is like you know let, let's if we were to leave wentworth this past week out of it because as you say the time difference means it's not so much of a factor you've got the shriners which is a decent sort of pga tour event um one that attracts you know a, a pretty strong field but not certainly not the strongest field in the regular season um and the winner there is taking home 900k and you know, it's over in mm. Vegas. Obviously, Aronomic and the PGA are over in Philly. So there's a little bit of a time difference. But I think, yeah, it would be nice to maybe see some parity in the purses as the years, as, as we kind of go forward. But it's just how, how do you solve the issue, which is what Sam raised. It's like, you know, it's it's a case of, of they, market forces and yeah. what's the, where's the demand. Because They've still got to raise the cash, haven't they? Involved, so. mm. Yeah. Kind of function the events and and end up getting the finishing day on a different day on the Sunday. It's, seems obvious enough to me. Like golf tournaments don't have to finish on a Sunday. It's not a it's not essential, is it? Um, I, yeah, I, I think historically or traditionally, it, it makes sense for them to finish on Sunday. And I, I also just guess, yeah, with sort of fitting in with the weekends. But th- there are plenty of tournaments, as you say, that don't. You know, Labor Day Monday being an example of, what, I think, one of the playoff events on the PGA Tour. Um, maybe it's also just a case of a trickle-down effect. And if we can get, you know, more um, participation at grassroots level amongst amongst young women and girls, that would prompt greater viewing of of lpga events and maybe then you get a kind of um closer closer purses but it's a tricky issue i guess mm. <laughs> and i apologize for raising it <laughs> i know everyone no. found it you know it's a bit it's a bit it's a bit of an awkward one to talk about isn't it particularly in this no, day I mean, age, tennis, but, um, is, tennis it's you know it feels like that news headlines finished now isn't it tennis and yeah know, the, i mean they're pretty the much at level par and that's why i raised the question of is it sometimes more enjoyable i know that you know the dlp the the ladies pga at the weekend's a bad example but on the whole it can be quite exciting to watch them play courses that don't need to be seven thousand eight hundred yards 
where mm. you can it's slightly more relatable the distances where the ball's going the shots some of the kind of consistency as well and also it's a closer bunch so you know seeing people like Sophia Popov winning the winning at Troon for example is a, a really a really good one and that's where you see the same in tennis actually watching women's tennis is a better watch than watching men's tennis because it's not serve you know serve 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 one return you get a lot more rallying yeah. going so sometimes it's a bit more back and forth i think i think you know i will i will throw the point out there i think the, the women's game has become pretty slow to watch you know and i think yeah. it's noticeably slower than, than well, i think that was um, that was commented on at the uh, yeah. women's british open wasn't it it's, it's it's crazy slow crazy crazy slow i'd uh... I was on the uh, watching the first round, and I was watching Danielle Kang, and she went through three under on the first round. She was um, co-leader at the end of round one, but she was on about I think it was on the second round. She was on a green, and I was watching it, and then I thought I'm going to go make a cup of tea. So I went and made a cup of tea, boiled the kettle, popped the tea bag in, stirred it round, put some milk in, drained it, strained it, dropped the tea bag off, walked back into the. She was still lining up the same putt. I was like, this is fucking obscene. <laughs> it's the same putt. Like, it must have been two minutes. She was you sure you didn't press pause? No, it's the same yeah. putt. It was obscene. Like a, so, it was, yeah, it was slow. Midweek medal, 18th green, similar scenes. <laughs> yeah, it happens. If you're into... <laughs> um, if you're into aim point, you've gone down that point. rabbit hole. You're absolutely stuffed, aren't you? That's well, aim point express is supposed to be fast. Overall, it equals out. Well, guys, <laughs> if you keep stats, you know you don't you don't have to worry about using aim point or anything like that. Exactly. Uh, sorry, how does that make any sense whatsoever? <laughs> so I just knew I'd get a nibble. That's too easy. How is record? How is recording stats versus the reading of a putt at all? Here we go. This Are is, you saying this is the real? If you keep uh, if you keep <laughs> better stats, you will read a putt better. Someone you are off your rocker. Someone's got fifty p in him now. That, so that'll be next week's pod anyway. The um the art of putting. So here's oh, a, oh, yeah. take an aim at aim point. If sorry, that's a terrible line. Have a go at aim point if you wish, but don't say reading your stats or being meticulous with your stats is going to speed up how long it takes to read putts. Carl, as a neat segue, can I can I put a question to you? Would you rather play golf with someone who's aim pointing takes I don't know? So let's let's give it a conservative number of seven or eight minutes over an eight foot putt, or someone playing golf in a hoodie? It's one or the other. I knew we were going to get onto this. <sighs> Let's address the elephant in the room. What? Yeah. What? What's, what do we all think of the hoodie? Fucking sick sponsorship work from uh, Adidas, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, the guys, the, the guys are piling into trendy golf. I think mm. this week, but um, yeah. Being brutally honest, I understand what they're trying to do. There's never been a growing the game and appealing to more people, but at the same time. For me, it's just not it's not for me you're not going to see me rocking out with a hoodie save that for the gym or wherever else but. i'm not a hater of it i mean i actually think so i think it looked it looks quite cool yeah if, as it, if you're yeah. gonna go down the pub or you know if you're you know somewhere where it's allowed there's a lot of golf clubs where, where you wear that though and you're going to feel like a complete press so you know do you do you think there's many golf clubs that people are going to go out now and buy this stuff because they've yeah. seen terrible and they're going to turn up to their golf club and they're going to, and the golf club, do you think the golf clubs will turn around and say no? Or do you think they'll oh. say, yeah, cause it's not, it's been. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure at, at many places it's fine. Um, but 
it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's just not, um, I can understand what they're trying to do. And as I said before, appeal to others and try and bring down a few barriers, but it's, it's a hoodie. But it, it puts the golf clubs in very difficult position, it does, doesn't yeah, it? Because it does, yeah. if, if someone turns up to a golf club in a hoodie now, uh, and it might not be the exact same hoodie as the one Tyrrell wore that was supposed to be tailored for uh, for a golfer. It might be a different sort of hoodie, or maybe even it's the same hoodie. But now you put the golf club in a position where do they say, categorically not, you can't do that, that's not part of the dress code, or do you say the Preston's been set, let's go? So to give you some, some sense of scale of demand on these things, Trendy Golf have an area on their webpage dedicated to hoodies, and there are some 50-odd options there to choose from just on golf hoodies now people are therefore going out and buying these and they are taking them out to play i think for like i think for the range or you know municipal sorry you can get my words out um sure it works for a bit like casual golf why not um i mean hoodies are, are worn for for training purposes aren't they Football players, rugby players, gym, that sort of thing. For training, like working on your game, yeah, sure, fine. But for general, like, club wear, if you're playing competitive golf, it's, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's caused um, a debate and a stir, hasn't it? So, um, difficult one. I just don't really get the whole, I think it's a false dichotomy, the way people talk about the dress code in golf, because they're like, you know, overly strict dress codes are scaring people away from the game and that's why we've got dwindling participation and a whole load of other sort of falsehoods that we get told and actually like i I do think you can keep it as simple as golf clubs are private clubs they can set their own rules on the dress code and i think it's fine there's a whole spectrum of golf clubs out there who can decide on a on you know regulations regarding the dress code that are appropriate for the the place and the members who go and play there and like for me yeah i I agree with you cal like hoodie i wouldn't wear that on a a golf course i also wouldn't wear high top trainers and the kind of like you know elasticated um ankles that you get on some of the some of the joggers that ricky fowler has been wearing or you know the the three stripe adidas joggers that matt wallace wearing like to me i just think if you enjoy wearing that that stuff that's cool but the way I see a lot of global brands pushing it at the moment, it's almost like virtue signaling or just putting two fingers up to the golfing establishment for the sake of it. Like we, I don't think, you know, golf is really suffering too much from an overly stuffy dress code. Like if you just join a club that kind of embodies the values and the dress sense that, that you like really, I I, I don't see the issue with it. Agreed. Completely agree with that. should be down to the club, and if the club is happy with it, then so be it. Um, other than that, it will be a personal thing. A lot, a lot of it going literally back to like basics here. So I'll just finish on this point. Um, ultimately, a lot of people aren't going to feel comfortable playing in the hoodie. I mean, restricting the swing, hoodie moving around at the top, mm. potentially sort totally of totally unfunctional, getting yeah. a bit awkward. So I mean, fair play actually um, that Hatton <laughs> felt felt comfortable playing in it, and it was working for his swing and everything else, but just feels a little bit restrictive without yeah. taking aim completely at, at Tyrrell. I mean, he's not the first to do something like this, just as you mentioned, Bruce. And don't forget we had tiger in that sort of turtleneck. There was hardly a turtleneck. It was just a fucking round top. 2006. But, um, yeah. That, that was but, good. 
Um, do you think this is um, this was Tyrrell's choice, and he's gone to his his sportswear maker and said, "I want to wear a hoodie," or do you think Adidas has come to him and said, "We need to push hoodies." Who's going to wear it? So I saw several players that weekend wearing hoodies. So Adidas clearly had a. I mean, there is an element of science to this. If you're paying people a million bucks or more a year to wear clothing mm. on a golf course, then you are going to have some science behind it on what you're putting out there. Now we're going into the winter, therefore people are going to buy science. more warmer, warmer. Exactly, it's hardly right. Oh, yeah. So you're going to want to put new warmest wardrobe stuff out there. I saw other Adidas players out there wearing them. When you see them out playing in colder climates and states, you see the same thing. Yeah. Now, clearly, he could say, "I'm not wearing that," but you know, pick you know, pick your battles, and and maybe he just wants to wear it because it looks cool. And I think the best point made is Bruce's. It's like you know, everyone waxes on about what is the right and right, right and wrong dress code for golf, and actually, people just have to find what works for them and. And I think kind of go with the flow. And, you know, if, if that doesn't work at the club that you want to be a member at, then that's probably a signal that it might not be the right club for you in many respects. And it works both ways, I think. So I, I'm look, I'm probably not going to rush out and buy one tomorrow. But, you know, I think it's yeah. a cool look. I'm probably and not I certainly gonna... think on the whole, it's an individual game. Yeah. People can do whatever they please. People wear two gloves. People can wear a hoodie. They can do whatever they want if it works for them great so be it. And, it, and if they can yeah wear it on the golf course if it's permitted then yeah do do as you please but i mean the one overriding point with all of this is it has taken away just like it has in the last 10 minutes and that is entirely my own fault too much airtime around what is a stellar victory for tyrrell i mean it it's um mm. you know he's had a first class year isn't he absolutely top draw year like hats off to him i know He's kind of not everyone's cup of tea and he's got his own thing going on and he's he's an intense guy out on the golf course. But, you know, I sit there and think, fuck me, this guy's had a great year with a huge amount to contend with. Um, yeah. No, he's, um, he's definitely uh, rose to the top. And, yeah, I mean, it was pretty flawless golf. Even on Sunday, it was maybe a slightly slow start for the first five holes and then... As soon as he made his first birdie, I think I think even Radar even called it on the Sky Sports coverage. He goes, "What? Literally, watch these birdies flow now." And it was it was like floodgates open. Then he was off. He he sort of was was the reason that it was a pretty boring event. But I feel like that when you have boring events, it's generally because somebody's just taken taken it by the scruff of the neck. And Terrell's just absolutely dismantled the field. It's like he's playing a different course towards the end. I mean. He was the only one that was absolutely lights out out there. And uh, Sullivan had a good final round as well. Mm, Victor Perez, him, he was pushing him. Mm. I mean, it, it didn't. The leaderboard didn't suggest it was a whitewash, did it? I mean, I, I didn't catch all of it, but yeah, he's clear. He's clearly played the best goal for the weekend. What I find really hard watching him is, even right in the top stage when he's playing in major championships. He seems to score really well. He gets it round. He's a he's you know he's top ten in the world golfer now. His swing doesn't look absolutely pure, does it? If I was sitting there and just wanting to kind of you know watch a beautiful golf swing, I'd probably there's a whole host of other pros I'd be watching. It doesn't look much better than a a solid club golfer swing in many ways. And I know that's an outrageous thing for me to sit here and say as an armchair pundit, but am I the only one that watches it and just thinks it looks a little agricultural? Cal, let's just sit back on this. Bruce, take over. Oh, brilliant. Uh, even after last week's humiliation, you're allowing no, me to, no, to, to do some analysis. I, I'm asking this really towards you, Bruce. I mean, it's carte blanche. Yeah, 
No, I think it's a fair point. And a lot of a lot of well-known instructors out there would look at his swing and say, there's a lot going on there and it's not a swing I teach and it's a swing that, you know, could probably cause a little bit of back problems or inconsistencies. And yet at the same time, they would just admire the genius that he has in timing it at the bottom and repeating it over and over. I mean, he has got a very, very functional, like repetitive movement, but he, yeah, he gets a lot. He comes out of posture quite a bit on the downswing. Like as he reaches the top of his, of his backswing, he's coming down. It almost looks as if he's sort of tipping forward towards the ball. Um, and yeah, certainly as he gets to delivery close to impact, he's kind of coming onto his toes pretty hard and his like bum sort of tucking under um, him a bit more like a sort of classic sort of early extension move. But as you say, Sam, that you would see with club golfers, he probably doesn't like maintain his angles and his tilts as well as some of the other uh, great players in the game today. But I mean, the guy does it over and over again. And it's funny because you'd think maybe with a pattern like that, he wouldn't drive the ball well, but no, like really solid driver of the ball hits fairways just Ooh. for fun. Um, I think it was radar. He said like, he doesn't really have a weakness and, you know, I must admit, when I first saw him come out on tour, I was like, this guy seems just a little bit um, odious. He seems pretty sort of difficult to take a liking to. And actually, now I think it's quite funny to see him just be so brutally honest um, as a commentator on his own golf when he's out there. And, you know, I, I actually, like, I I use that expression he has, um, or, or he was famously recorded saying, I think in, in a PGA tour event at the start of the year, I use that in my own game several times, which is lovely strike. Shame. It's 40 yards offline. <laughs> um, it's good. It's nice watching him. Chirp yeah. Away. No, yeah. he's honest. Yeah. Isn't it? It's a great example for juniors. So it's highly relatable. I find, you know, he's so, honest. Yeah. He's it's just, as long as he's though. not burying his it's club into gritty. the ground, it, it's fine. I mean, he can, is he really that different to Jordan Spieth, who who is just a walking commentary on his own game as well? I think Tyrrell's just so brutally honest; it's just quite refreshing. Yeah, in a well, way. to be fair, Bryson <laughs> does it as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. So, whilst we're on Bryson, Bryson, I want to get you your boys' take on this. I'm all for speaking candidly to the cameras, but when you're not even playing in the same tournament as the guy, and he's just won the U.S. Open. I'm not sure going out in front of the world's media and telling them. And Matt Fitzpatrick, by the way, has got a fantastic career. You know, he's a, he's a stellar no, guy. Yeah. He's <laughs> a just went absolutely rogue and took dead aim on Bryson and basically said, yeah, yeah I mean, the yeah, guy. It was, it was suicide. It was suicide. It, it was absolutely outrageous. I don't know who's prepped him with that, but I don't know. Discuss. Okay. For our listeners' uh, benefit, who hasn't seen this quote i'll just give it verbatim and then we can we can go to task on it um to me it is not a skill to put on 40 pounds and hit the ball 40 yards further as a consequence (laughs) he then goes on to talk about the only place he can compete with bryson's is putting so if if anybody can put on 40 pounds and put on 40 yards it begs the question (laughs) and keep flexibility and hit it that far and everything else and that's straight that is such a good skill in its own right was it was it Tim Barter who was interviewing him? Because I think he had to jump out the way. There was just so much acid from the sour grapes coming out of Matt Fitzpatrick's <laughs> mouth. He was just nearly nearly oil. burnt by it. Yeah, that is it's just bonkers to hear someone say um say something like that because it, as you say, it just comes across as totally bitter and and just just really really petty. Like 
obviously it is quite an achievement, Matt. Otherwise, you would do it. Like what he said, he uh, said, you know said I mean? it was taken out of context. But hard, I don't like, know. I don't know. It's, yeah. I don't know in what context it's, it's been. It's hard to from. put that in context, like, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> you know what? To be fair, I think what's happened is it was. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mills. It was said after his second round, he'd shot 65 with a double bogey on his last hole to lie joint leader after two rounds. And he's probably just fuming, isn't he, that he's double bogeyed his final hole and he could have had a two-shot lead when he was going home to put his feet up on Friday afternoon as the weather turned. And uh, instead, he's had a pretty rank end to what was otherwise a really good round and he's just taken dead aim at Bryson. That's the way I see it. He, he, has, taken, he has taken dead aim and it starts... I mean, the, 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 the quote starts with, I'm fed up seeing everyone talk about him. Hmm. I'm not the longest off the tee, and so I'm a bit biased. But I drove brilliantly at Wingfoot and played pretty well generally, yet finished miles behind. Sounded well, like he just wanted a pat on the back. But I'm going to try and take mm. a second run at this because there's a couple of things here. One, Matt Fitzpatrick's won the US Amateur. That's something that only really, really good golfers tend to do. Bryson's also in that category when it's two years later than him. You must think that probably there's a level of mutual respect there for both winning that tournament because, I don't know, that's kind of my, my initial steer on it. But I think the whole golfing industry has now become so obsessed with the distance debate. We've all fallen guilty of it. But even Twitter, it's just crazy amount of commentary on distance debate. It's like, okay, let's just give it a rest for one week. Every Sunday you load it up, we're on distance. And maybe a lot of the pros are kind of getting fed up. I mean, it, mm. it, it wouldn't be remiss for Fitzpatrick to turn up in front of a, a media tent, talk to a you know press official or whatever, and then be told, what, what do you think about Bryson? It's like, well, Bryson's not even playing this tournament. Why are you even asking me about it? But, you know, given you've riled me, I'll now have a, have a bash back at it. I, I mean, it's, yeah. it's very odd. Yeah, and uh, you know what, Sam? Like, I agree with what you say there. The golfing world's gone nuts. So one-dimensional how much everyone talks about distance we're obviously not doing ourselves any favor by continuing to talk about distance now but it is a hilarious soundbite so we will carry on doing so but you can take issue with how much everyone dedicates in the way of airtime to the distance debate and bryson hitting the ball further and mcelroy then putting up his flight scope numbers to try and hit the ball further and dj doing the same that's fine you can take issue with all of that the problem really is when matt fitzpatrick says it's not a skill to put on 40 yards because obviously that's just totally untrue and it i'll tell you what it actually to me it almost smacks of like when ben hogan said towards the end of his career that putt should count as half strokes it's like you fucking lost your mind <laughs> mate that's an absolute do you know what i mean um and that's our sound and that's, and, and that's what i see here but that's what i see here with matt fitzpatrick it's like yeah it's annoying we get it people don't want to just keep you know other pros don't want to hear about their their colleagues and how well they're playing how how far they're hitting the ball but don't say something fucking insane like it's not a skill to put on 40 yards because clearly it is yeah wow <laughs> mic drop there we go Bruce Swallow <laughs> serum this week but I think there's a lot of sense getting spoken here I think we're talking I think For once. Concerned, which is what the cookie jar golf podcast is all about I mean there is rock there is wrong on both sides of the fence it's you know all guns at Matt Fitzpatrick or all guns at the media or the USGA on distance report the whole thing just seems out of kilter with where we should be focusing our attentions and probably the same for that bloody hoodie stuff that we spent mm. 15 minutes talking about as well but it does show you the um the skew and where the attention tends to sit on these things doesn't it yeah yeah, it's, yeah it needed to be said but um there we go moving on and pga tour this week 
Martin Laird back in the winner's circle after oh seven years. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Fair Did you guys watch that one? Caught I watched that, highlights yeah. on Monday morning. I, I watched more golf um, with regards to this event than I normally do and uh, caught, caught the highlights on Monday morning. <laughs> what a finish that was. Did you see it, Sam? No, no, not the finish. Oh, oh, the bunker shot he hold for an eagle was just obscene. Yeah, and it looked like they looks like he's face, sitting pretty. pretty. Yeah, it looks like he's oh, sitting yeah. pretty. Yeah. I think he hits the 16th green in two, so simple two. Like, he's putted the lights out all week. Um, you know, he, he. I think he's perennially near the top of the ball striking stats on the PGA Tour. So, you know, clearly just found something in the putter this week. Rolled the ball great the first three days and the, and the um, you know, two-thirds of the final round. Gets to the 16th and just leaves this, I mean, he leaves this 70-foot putt. 30 feet short by the looks of things just doesn't even get it anywhere near the hole um three jabs it for par matt wolf and and austin cook i think are just staring down the barrel of birdies on 17 and 18 but they they just slide by martin laird gets up onto 17 and he's taking forever you talk about making a cup of tea here mills you could have cooked your dinner in the time that <laughs> Martin Laird lined up this tee shot on the 17th. And he's just come out of this thing, hits like a 30-yard weak slap with a six iron, hit the cart path, gone into the rough, and he's had to like hit this chip under several tiny little trees um, back towards the water, rolled in an 18-footer for par, then just almost shanked this three-wood off the 18, um, hit another big flare with his four iron, stubbed the chip, I'm, I'm being a little bit harsh, but <laughs> adding some poetic license. Anyway, he's bogeyed the 18th, having been sitting pretty, and then goes and wins it on the second playoff hole, just cans a, cans a 20-foot slider to beat Matthew Wolf and Austin Cook. I mean, looked for all the world like the momentum and, and the wind had just totally gone from Martin Laird's sails. And then, yeah, I mean, what an absolute redemption story that was. Like, fantastic right, to see him win after 2,700 days, I think, since his last tour win. And, you know, he's got a young family now. Just incredible story but um yeah some high drama for sure i mean that's moved him from 351st in the world up to 88 that's pretty much guaranteed card. a huge huge payment for it. yeah yeah and that's that's the sort of line i was going to go down is i mean it's obviously pretty early to say maybe ride a cup but i don't know if he gets on um <laughs> hang on hang on hang on absolutely from the sublime to the ridiculous yeah. that is basically i mean that's <laughs> uh, that's basically made a huge difference on his retirement oh, um, exactly yeah all, all that said how old is he i'm trying to just fish this information out. he's got to be i'm gonna get not as old as you think actually no not as old as i'm you gonna think. say 43 um, 42, no, no, you're way off, way off there, mate. I'm pretty no. sure he's about 37. No way, it's not 37. Yeah, 37. I'm really? pretty sure he's 37. Yeah, I think so. I checked it you out think? on Monday. I um, reckon he's 43. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay, can anyone fact check this, Sam? Try. Sam, you're, you, you're usually the one who fact checks. Uh, well, I had to then, but I mean, the 300, yeah, 37 years of age. Well done, Bruce. You're getting oh. a sticker on your chart this week. Oh, um. <laughs> He's already got Wikipedia open. It was the great hair that pushed me towards 43. An extra Capri Sun in his lunchbox for him this week. So, um, yeah, 37, but goes from 351st to 88th in what is probably the winter months of his career now, if you look at it. Yeah, well, you say that, but to be fair, even in that seven-year gap, I'm pretty sure he... Come on. 
No, that was that was Sam tongue Williams. Sh- Sam Williams was... writing off people's golf careers. <laughs> that was <laughs> one tour player at a time. That was tongue in cheek. But uh, in the, in even you in that seven year gap, years old, you're dusted. Even in that seven year gap, I think he still kept his card, so he still ticks along. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, he did. Can I ask uh, a, a pretty irrelevant, or well, relevant, but fairly uneducated question? Hmm. Isn't he? not eligible for the Ryder Cup team. No, he's Scottish. He's Scottish. Yeah, but haven't you yeah. got to play a certain amount of uh, European you, you, events? Yeah, you've got to be a member of the European Tour. Correct. Correct. Which he's not. Which he's he not. does all yeah. PGA. Yeah, no, he lives in uh, Arizona. So he's he's not. So no, that's that's a good shout. So we've... we've he's got that kind of American twang, actually. We've fully shot him down for so long. Mm. He's got like a G-Mac twang. Yeah. But you never know. He might he might do a Casey and think, mm, I've got a shot. I'll join the European Tour. Yeah. He's also got very white teeth, I think. Yeah. Long way to go on that one. But fair play. When, like you say, so easy to crumble like the Biscuitman in those situations, isn't it? And uh, mm. you know, to kind of hold on when everything else seems to be evaporating around you is pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, I, I just did see. Uh, I mean, just flicking back to Bryson a little bit. I was uh, I was on the phone to you, Sam, actually, and I watched. Uh, I watched Bryson hit a three hundred yard par four with an iron, which I thought was quite ridiculous. Yeah, the <laughs> elevation mean, that was helping him up there, I think, wasn't there? So I think I don't know. I literally was just dry. looked up and I just told him. Mm. Did you also see him on the range? Did you see Bryson on the range? Really he was like fifty yards back from everyone else yeah. on the range. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was. <laughs> it's unbelievable. That's what we should do on the range. It's like that. It's like that. It's like when you uh, you stand there on a par five, waiting for the green to clear, like stretching your back. Going, yeah, no, I'm gonna, and then just top it down the fairway. Well, like it, was, no, it, was, it was JT Poston was saying that he was like Bryson was lining up. Literally, you see the video, and he's like 50 yards behind everyone else in the corner of the range, just sort of launching, and you've got sort of the equipment guys bringing shafts to their players and everything else, literally like ducking for cover as someone behind them is just like launching at miles. So apparently he's like clearing the end of the range and wherever they were a week ago, um, something like the eighth hole of whichever course this was, was behind the range. And JT Poston was saying, oh, we'd be out there when we were playing the eighth hole, approaching the green. We sort of get up to the fairway, sort of second cut, and we're just finding like bridge stones, like just in the rough, like scattered <laughs> everywhere. And they're like, "Oh yeah, sorry guys, it's Bryson just like carrying the nets and basically pitching them on the eighth green." That's still bonkers, fifty yards yeah. back. I've never seen anything that lacks so much skill in all my life. <laughs> but it's not a skill, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So. Any other business in terms of uh, news from this week? Oh, no, it's a bit of um, golfing news, isn't there? We've got a few trips and some plenty of golf lined up, I think, through the what's left of the autumn months. Be remiss not to yeah, hoping to do a Scottish tour, aren't we? Yeah, hoping to uh... provided lockdown measures permit. We've got um, an exciting array of golf courses coming up there. Yeah, and of, and of course uh, another big development. I know it's a little premature, but correct me if I'm wrong. Um, our new World Handicaps will be available to view from next Monday, I think. Is that correct? Can you, if get you, got your from... can you actually go in and get your handicap before November? Uh, not I think you can see what yet. it is. Oh, you can. Um, okay. But from the 19th, which is Monday, 
<laughs> Sorry, good. that's, that's uh, fake news. <laughs> from, from the 19th, Monday the 19th of October, as long as you have your CDH number, which you should be able to get from your clubs or from How Did I Do or Intelligent Golf or whatever system that you use, you should be able to access your new World Handicap, WHS Handicap. Um, it won't include, uh, as I'm told from my sources, it will not include events that took place from the 5th of October onwards. But when they roll live on the 2nd of November, that will be included. So it's just a little bit of sort of legacy data being used to show you what you're going to be working at before you work at it. I think that'll be exciting. I'm, I'm keen to, because I've tried to calculate it all sort of different ways, using the online computers, my own crude measurements, all sorts of different ways. Praying's also been another another thing I've used, which got me to scratch. Anything you can do to get it down, but I just get it down. I, there's a massive spread on my numbers. I think I, I genuinely don't know within a shot where I'm going to be at. Like literally 1.0, I could be anything within that range. I think I shot a 70 in 2011, so I'm trying to dig that out and get that into the system somehow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get trying to get yourself retroactively DQ'd for everything between 2011 and 2020. <laughs> Just realising carrying 15 clubs. Yeah, exactly. I only counted like half strokes for putts. So. Um. <laughs> I think as a fairly uh, accurate consensus, we all think we're going down, don't we? Which I think is optimistic. Hoping, but I mean, I don't know. They do say lower handicap golfers are more likely to come in, don't they? And I think kind of outside of single figures, you almost certainly will go up. But I mean, everything's caveated with these caps as well, as far as I understand. So I think you can't drift by huge numbers to begin with and even if you start missing a few key rounds throughout play you're not going to go up by like two shots overnight it's all capped within certain parameters i think so the system's a bit more clever yeah. I, I'm, I, mean, I think there's something called a soft cap and a hard cap that sounds right. um where the soft cap is about two strokes um so you could i think you can fairly quickly move two strokes if something goes wrong or something goes really right whichever way you look at it but it's um, a little bit harder to to move beyond that because I suppose, although it's a gentleman's game, someone might throw in a bunch of 200 over pars just to get the handicap up before club champs. So there's just that sort of built-in redundancy to kind of make sure that doesn't happen. But yeah, it's all going to be very, very interesting. Well, you know- so from the 19th, we can, we can find out. Mm. Fascinating. Well, not to, uh, you know how much I like anecdotes and not to scale too much but um i think it's loosely the whs is loosely based on the system that australian golf has been using for some years um which i guess depending on how you look at it it kind of rewards people who can go out and shoot lower rounds but if you go out on uh, and shoot a few high rounds you can go out pretty quickly and uh a few friends who play at New South Wales said that they had a guy there who joined off scratch. He went up to 10 in six months. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. um, but I think that well, says more about the, the, the difficulty of the course that he joined rather than, um, you know, the how the system works. So uh, we've got that to look forward to. Anyway, it's going to be an exciting uh, exciting time. People, people heralding go. the WHS is like the best thing since sliced bread, aren't they? So, uh, Carl, are you podding stood up now? Yeah. It's a stand-up desk. 
Okay, like it's that. a deep, deep vein thrombosis thing. He's just <laughs> wiggling his toes, doing his exercises. <laughs> Couple of lunges. So I think that's all we've got time for this week, right? But next week we're going to be is a video week. This week is not. So keep tuned for next what are we week. what are we releasing next week? We well, can't tell, can we? That would be telling. But we've got a little uh, spicy hot video coming at you. As always, guys, if you want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us at Cookie Jog Golf on all of our social media channels. And until then, yeah. I think we'll all see you next time. Unlike, unfollow, and don't share. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Adios. Adios. Goodbye. This.